I've titled this message, The Intro to the New Kingdom Constitution. So Luke is selecting passages of Jesus' life and little scenarios and vignettes and stories and accounts, and he's piecing them together because he wants Theophilus to understand all that was said and done by Jesus and how he fulfilled, how he fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures through his life and through his ministry. We're in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 26, and this morning we're going to see that Jesus calls the 12 out of a large group, and I couldn't resist putting together another one ad, help wanted additional disciples who are willing to follow Jesus, no experience or skill set required, all ages, races, genders, and ability levels accepted, must be willing to relocate surrender personal agendas, and fully commit to to Jesus' teachings. I don't really know how you can apply in person online, but you can figure that out at heavenhelpwanted.com. As we look at chapter 6, verse 12, it says, one of those days. Luke, again, he's just picking out a day, and he's picking out the event that he wants us to hear about, And he says, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. And when the morning came, he called all of his disciples to him. And then he chose, of all of his disciples, he chose 12. 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. So out of the many, he chose the few. He chose 12 disciples. And then he gives their name in in three short verses. Luke gives their name, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and uh, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, for those of you who are interested in these kinds of things, four times in the New Testament, there are lists of disciples. They're listed. It's in in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke, and then Luke gives another list in Acts. There's three things that are the same about all four lists. The first thing is that Peter is always at the beginning, and guess who's always dead last? Judas, exactly, which I think is very good, very good. Um, the first four are always Peter, Andrew, James, and John. In all the lists, those are always the first four. And then there are three groups of four disciples, and the lead position in each group is always occupied by Peter, Philip, and James, the son of Alphaeus. Now, for those of you who are interested in that, that's kind of interesting, but not that interesting, so let's keep moving. Verse, verse 17. But the, but the point of that is, is that Jesus did pick 12. He picked 12. He, he didn't pick them all. He picked 12 to be his disciples. Now, he had other disciples, but he picked 12 that he designated as apostles. But he had a lot of disciples. He had a lot of followers, men and women. But he picked these 12 to work with. So verse 17 sets the context for what 
the words that Jesus is going to share. He went down with them, with those 12, and he stood on a level place. So he was on a mountain, he's come down into a valley. I remember driving through the Cascades up into British Columbia, and you'll you get to these spots, right, where there's these huge mountains on either side, and you've got this, just this dead flat valley, plateau, so to speak, plain uh, in between them, just beautiful. And he comes down to this level place, and a large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from down in Jerusalem, from the coastal region in the, the northwest around Tyre and Sidon, and they had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. So they're coming to Dr. Jesus, and Dr. Jesus heals people. He heals their diseases, and when he's done with them, unlike any chiropractor you've ever been to, I mean, you're healed, you're better, and they were all coming around, not just to hear him, but also to be healed by him. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So in this supernatural context, Jesus then speaks the words that he's about to speak. But Luke describes this context context. It's a, it's a supernatural messianic context in which Jesus then gave this message. Now, the message sounds a lot like the book of Matthew, the Beatitudes. And Pastor John and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago. And how many times would Jesus have given his stump speech? You know, would, would Jesus have only taught these things just once? They got recorded in Scripture, and then that was the end of it? He went around he did the blessed are the, when the woe to those. I mean, he taught stories and parables. John said, if, if you were to write down everything he did and said, the whole world couldn't contain the scrolls. Many times he taught this, I believe. And one time he taught it on a mountain. And the Beatitudes was a sermon on the mount. And I bet many times he taught it from the shore or on a flat surface, or in a home, or at a synagogue. He taught these things. He had, he had a very focused, singular message about the kingdom of God. And this is the one that Luke records, and it starts out in uh, verse 12. Looking at his disciples. Notice Luke says that. Remember in past weeks, he looked around at them all, and then he said, So he's looking at his disciples, and he says this, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. We go all the way back to Luke chapter 3 when he was in the synagogue in Nazareth, remember? And he stood up, and, and they handed him a scroll, and he unrolled it, and it was Isaiah. And he said that the, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to the poor. Not just, the, not just the financially poor, but to those who are just, they're just poor. They're poor in spirit. They're poor in finances. They're poor in resources. Maybe they're poor in talent or ability. Maybe they're poor in relationships, but they're poor. They're the downtrodden. They're, they're the ones that are kind of cast off out of society. Blessed are those who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I've, God is coming down through me. I'm God incarnate, and I'm coming, and my heart is for those of you who are poor and hurting and aching. My heart is for you. 
I am here and I hear your cries. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. If you're hungry now, in the kingdom, nobody's hungry. In the kingdom, there's enough food. Blessed are you who hunger now, you'll be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Another idea with this hunger is those who, he says, another hunger and thirst after righteousness. They'll be filled. When they're around Jesus, they're going to be filled. He's the bread of life, right? He's the water of life. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil. By the way, in this passage, there, he's describing two groups of people. The one group of people are like the ones that, in fact, it says at the end of this, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. The one group of people describes a life that's lived where they get treated like the prophets got treated. And then the other group of people describes lives that are lived where they get treated like the false prophets now were treated, how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Which group would you rather be in? How they treated the prophets, the good guys, or how they treated the false prophets, the bad guys? Well, our culture teaches us to be in this group over here. And, and here's why, because who wants to be hated and excluded and insulted and rejected? They reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. He says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. The good guys came and they were rejected and excluded and insulted. They were harassed. Some of them were sawn in half. They were killed. You want to be like them. (laughs) You want to be like the prophets of old. And the prophets of old didn't succeed on this earth, but great is their reward in heaven. Everything in our society tells us to succeed on this earth. Our entire culture teaches us that we're to succeed and be successful, that we're to make wise investments, that we're to plan for the future for stability and security, that we're to have bigger and better Jesus doesn't teach us that. Yes, in Proverbs, it gives us a lot of wisdom that the wise are blessed. That's how God has kind of set up the universe, right? But then we use the blessed part to bless others. And yet sometimes this says, when they hate you, insult you, exclude you, and reject you, not everyone will like how you live. Not everyone will like what you believe Not everyone will like your position or your words when you're a follower of Jesus and you live that out. In fact, a lot of people won't. Hopefully, when we get together as believers, we come together as a family of God to build one another up and to encourage one another and to provoke one another to love and good works. We find that, we find that uh, that building up in here, that affirmation. We find that encouragement in the body of Christ where we don't judge one another, where we love each other, where we forgive each other, where we practice all the one another commands of the New Testament. But when we go out there 
The world does, they didn't like Jesus. They didn't like the prophets. They put Jesus on a cross. Are we sure we want to sign up to be his disciple? I mean, really. But see, here's what happens. You guys, here's what happens. In American society, American Christianity becomes cool and hip. Right? It's not good. We can't, we can't let ourselves fall into that. For instance, this morning, what happened with the music and with us? We've created a, an environment where we meet together with God. And we need to meet together with God. And this, I, I love seeing out of the corner of my eye, seeing you worship. I love the applause. I, I love the, the raised hands. I love the energy and, and what I sense is the Holy Spirit ministering to his people in this room. But it's not to be cool and hip. It's to meet with God. It's to encourage each other. And it's to be ministered to by people who have musical gifts. And you look throughout the Bible and people with musical gifts ministered always, always in praise and worship to God. So <laughs> there's this site online that's like a parody site and it said something like um, the Holy Spirit was forced to leave because the fog machine ran out of the juice that it makes fog with. So the Holy Spirit had to leave the worship, worship environment. There was no more fog. There was no more haze in the air for the Spirit to work in, I guess. But, you know, that's not what it's about. It's about building each other up when we come together because when we go out, see, when we go out, there will be people who are the poor and they need to receive the love of Jesus through his body, through us. But then there will be people that aren't the poor. There will be people that are well-fed and that are laughing and that have no time for God because they're rich. They're not poor. They're not needy. They don't need God. They don't need anybody. They've got everything they want. And don't you tell them that they need God. So when you go out into the, the world, you will have these people and these are the people that persecuted the prophets. But then you'll always have these people. These are the people that when Jesus looked out over the crowd, he saw all the people, the masses of people, as helpless and scattered and sheep without a shepherd, and he was moved with compassion for them. So you'll have both. You'll have both. I wrote this on the side here. I didn't want to forget this. We must always put a check on the influence of the culture around us. The culture that we live and breathe and swim and, and, and exist in, it's always... It's, we're always going upstream against the culture when we try to follow Jesus. It's always going upstream. So we always have to put a check on our, on our culture. Oftentimes, it's affecting us and we don't even realize it. Now look at this next section, verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. What do we want to be? Do we want to be a prophet of God like those prophets of God who lived the message of God, who brought the word of God and were persecuted? Or do we want to be like the false prophets who go with the flow? Who tell the kings of the other countries what they want to hear? Who tells the king of Israel? 
You know, the Israel was the northern tribes, and Judah was the southern two tribes, the northern ten and the southern two. And there were 39 kings between the two of them. And all but seven kings were evil. And all the northern kings in Israel were evil. They didn't have, ever have a good king. And the false prophets would tell, they would lick their boots. They were boot-licking prophets for the kings. They would tell them what they wanted to hear. And the kings would enrich those false prophets. And the word of God was silent. It didn't go out anywhere. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. But in our culture, though, we want people to speak well of us. We want to be appreciated and liked. We don't want to go out there and and seem like we're going against people. But if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to go against the current of culture. And we're going to have to go with the current of the kingdom. Because what follows after this passage... What follows in verses 27 through 36, particularly, Jesus lays out a completely different ethic for his kingdom. He takes the the world order that was and he flips it around. And he says, this is the new kingdom order. This is the new kingdom ethic. It's different. And the poor will receive it. The poor will receive it. But the rich and the well-fed and those who are have no need for God, they're not going to receive it. They're going to think it's foolishness. So we're stopping at verse 26, and I've got one slide of what's it say? What's it say? Jesus, after spending the night in prayer, he selected his 12 disciples, whom he called apostles. He spoke on the plain to many. He healed them all. He spoke woes and blessings on those who would receive them for their actions and for their heart. That's what it says. What's it mean? Luke is presenting Jesus as the one with authority. He is the new, he's the new Jacob, the new Israel, the new one who's going to come, who's going to, in a sense, spiritually birth this new kingdom, this new nation. He's doing what never was able to be done in the Old Testament. He's coming and fulfilling it all. So he has the authority to choose the 12, a new people of God, peeking back to the 12 tribes of Israel, not to replace Israel, but to be grafted into Israel as God's people. He's revealing Jesus' power over physical illness and diseases, and God's desire to bring wholeness and healing. That's the desire of God. That's God's desire for his people, for us, as, the, as kingdom people, to come into the world and to bring wholeness and healing to bring help and aid to the poor and to the oppressed and to those who are crying out. It also means God's desire to bless those who suffer. His desire now, his desire to bless those who suffer now is real. He wants to bless those who are suffering. He hears the cry of the oppressed, the outcast, the suffering, the sidelined, the poor, those society has just left out and forgotten. Jesus is saying, I hear you. I will bless you. If, you. if you following me results in your suffering, you'll be blessed. And if society abuses and oppresses you, whether or not you follow me, I will not forget you. I hear the cry of the oppressed. This past week, uh, I think it was Thursday, was International Women's Day. And uh, on that day, uh, this, this woman, her name is uh, Amina Brown, uh, I've been watching her for 15 plus years, she does this thing called the spoken word. 
And when she first started it, she would, she would do these dramatic uh, uh, recitations of Scripture passages. And it's gone on. Now she's a, a spoken word poet. So she, the spoken word, right? It's a speech, right? You're just standing up. I, I'm doing spoken word right now. But she's a poet who speaks her poems to situations. She's an African-American believer, uh, a wonderful woman. And like I said, she's been doing this for the church for a while. She wrote a poem for International Women's Day. Her poem speaks out for women, but it also, interestingly, speaks out for minorities who have been oppressed around the world. So as you listen to this, it's just going to be a blizzard of words that speak about women. It's a blizzard of words. And you're going to hear stuff about what women do and what women accomplish across all societies and cultures in the world. Why does she need to do this? Why does there need to be an International Women's Day? Because women in so many cultures, in probably all cultures to one degree or another, are are abused and oppressed. And uh, so I want you to watch this and, and hear from her, hear the cry of oppressed women, and hear the cry of oppressed minorities as she shares these words. We carry water on our heads, babies on our backs, joy in our hips. We till the fertile ground in our garden, in our soul, in our children. We bear fruit. We grow. We watch things grow. We yield fruit in season. We stand in front of fire, on the front lines, in front of desk, behind camera, behind pulpit, in the face of war. We face evil. We face violence. We face obstacles. We stare, struggle in the eyes, and dare struggle to stare back. We take flour, add water, make tortillas, make porridge, make naan, make dumplings, make biscuits, make do with hands that need the dough and build the bricks and raise the babies and teach the children and fight poverty. We carry community in our wounds, on our backs, in our arms, in our chest. We take our words and gather them like so many sticks until they ignite. We build fire and around that fire we sing. We sing because a song always gives birth. We sing because a song always knows where the soul is wounded. We sing because a song always reminds us that we are at home in this body in this skin and around that fire we dance we dance to the tune of liberation we dance for the women who have gone before us for the women who are no longer here for the women who cannot speak we dance and fight for justice until every woman is free hear the drums in the rhythm we walk as we speak our mother tongue as we say prayers in our mother's tongues we find our language in banana leaves and avocado in mango and yams and rice and seaweed we tell our stories while braiding the hair of our daughters while standing in front of a boardroom while building a business while frying chicken we tell our stories while leading the way in protest while going to school while performing surgery because nobody gets to tell our stories for us because our stories belong to us because we belong to each other we raise our hands we raise our voices we raise the next generation we create we pioneer we invent we look ahead we know the way we see no path so we use our feet to build one for the ones who will come after us we leave a legacy in the sound of our laughter every day 
We built a world. Thank God for women. So, yeah. Why isn't there International Men's Day? Well, because men are not abused and oppressed like women are. And Jesus always, always elevated the women around him. As you look throughout Scripture from Genesis on, the people of God always elevated women. And Jesus did. And, I, and I'll bet that the Apostle Paul, when he was writing his letter to the Ephesians, he was probably thinking, when he wrote, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, he knew he was writing a new ethic, a new constitution for family and for gender relationships. He knew he was writing words that at least in the church, at least the body of Christ, it would be right. Women would not be abused. Women would not be oppressed. Women would not be sidelined. Women would not be silenced. And unfortunately, in very conservative churches, in some, in some very conservative churches in America and and other places around the world in the name of religion, but in our own churches, women, because of a distortion of Scripture, have been abused and oppressed psychologically, sexually, physically. They've been abused and oppressed in our own churches because, because the culture is what is the lens through which they look at Scripture instead of the Scripture being the lens through which they look at culture. So when you look at the culture through the lens of Scripture, you see liberation for the oppressed. Somebody came into my office one time a few years back, and they said, we're leaving the church. We're leaving the church because you believe in liberation theology. You're a liberation theologian. And I was like, I mean, I've studied some of that, but I didn't, like, I'm not a specialist in liberation theology. They said, yeah, well, we hear the words that are coming from you. We, we know what those words mean. And they said, do you know where liberation theology got started? And I said, on the cross? Don't be smart with me. <laughs> well, I, you know, so unfortunately, these things become political, they become social policy, they become governmental policy. And, and when that happens and we start aligning ourselves with different stuff, we get all gunked up and we don't, he- we don't just hear the cries of those who are oppressed. We don't have to agree with them. We, we don't have to agree with their political policies and their social policies. But we have to hear the cries of those who are oppressed. And we of all people, we're Jesus on earth. We of all people have to come to the aid in a proper way, in a good and godly way, in a kingdom way. Because in the kingdom, the oppressed, are, are come, they, they're come to the aid of. They're helped. And, and unfortunately, too often, we allow politics and policy and social stuff we allow that to get in the way of us doing kingdom work. So just put that other stuff aside. And I remember I had to tell somebody one time, I'm really sorry if you interpret my teachings of Jesus as Democratic Party platform uh, policy, which I don't really know what that is because I'm not into that that much. But if, I mean, it's the teachings of Jesus, right? 
And, I, and I've always thought if you just took the good from everybody's thoughts, take the good stuff, right? Take the kingdom stuff. Take the helpful stuff. Take the stuff like in Acts chapter 4 where it says when people had need, they, they brought their stuff to the apostles' feet and they laid it and they sold their things and they brought stuff and they helped the people in need. That's kingdom. Others will look at it and say, oh, that's socialism or that's communism. But we're not talking about socialism. We're talking about kingdom. So don't allow these other things to gunk up your understanding of kingdom. And so as, as we've looked at Luke, oh my goodness, over and over and over, Jesus is talking about I'm hearing the oppressed. I'm hearing those who are under the thumb of their oppressor. Doesn't matter who or what or how old they are, what gender they are, or what country they're from. Jesus hears the cry of the oppressed. And his people, us, need to hear those cries too. And we need to come with good, godly kingdom solutions in our corners of the world to help people. So Jesus hears them and we just need to hear them too. And, and, and what I wrote about, uh, uh, it's on the next slide there, the blueprint. A broken world makes excuses and doesn't listen to the cries of, of women. Um, they make jokes about it. And they make excuses. And they turn their attention elsewhere. But kingdom people listen to their cries. They empathize. And they seek wholeness and healing for the oppressed, whoever that is. I had a guy one time say, what do you have to use the word oppressed for on a Sunday morning? I, I don't know, because people are oppressed. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> see, they've heard this. They've heard this in their ideological, political world. All this stuff gets thrown around. And then believers come to church and they hear God's word and they interpret it Do you guys don't ever interpret God's Word through some talk radio personality or some media personality. You interpret them through the Word of God. But we we hear them more, though, right? We turn our radios on. We turn our TVs on. We we hear them more than we hear God's Word. This is something, put a check on the culture. We're swimming upstream. When the people in your church hear the media personalities more than they hear Jesus' words, more than they hear God's words. And then they go to church on Sunday and they hear God's word and they interpret it through the teachings of their favorite media personality. That's bad, bad, bad. We interpret them through Scripture. We interpret others through the words of Jesus. Let's see, what's next? What's it mean? Jesus is writing a new constitution for this new kingdom of God. The poor, the hungry, those who weep and are hated, the excluded ones, those rejected because of him, they're going to be the blessed ones. The laughing, well-fed, rich ones who are accepted by everyone will experience woe, not blessing. So how does this affect me? I have to ask myself, do I want to be praised by everyone? Do I want everybody to accept me? Am I serving, uh, am I serving more than one God? Am I serving other gods, small g? Am I unwilling to suffer because I'm a follower of Jesus so that I'll follow Jesus except for when the, the kitchen gets too hot, I'm just going to get out of the kitchen? And, and how does American Christianity re- reject Jesus' teaching from this passage? Well, our culture says that success and security and comfort is important, 
and that our needs being met and that us being served is important, but that's not really important. Jesus said, in fact, it's not to be so among you. Those who would be first must be the greatest servant. How does it affect me? Do I see the poor? Do I see the blessed poor that Jesus sees? Does my stomach ache for the hungry, those without enough to eat? Thank you, by the way, whether you know it or not, you provided uh, thousands, I don't even know how many thousands of meals for people in Jasper County. We've got two skids of food sitting in the office area right now that we're going to be giving out because you are givers and you give out of your wealth to support those who are not who do not have uh, what they need. Do I weep with those who weep? Does their quiet sobbing ever reach my ears? Can I stand with the excluded, those hated and rejected, simply because of their low status? Not even because they're, they're following Jesus, but because of their low status. Jesus hears them. Jesus doesn't call for us to be hip, cool, fully funded, accepted, popular, safe, rich, well-fed, and happy. Jesus calls us to love. And love is action toward those who are poor, hungry, weeping, and rejected. Jesus' Sermon on the Plain teaches us that we're not called to be a great church. We're just called to be the church. We're called to be the church. The church that is Jesus to the world. How will we reach out to those who are not yet in the kingdom? I ask that question of myself a lot. His sermon teaches us it's okay to be hungry and poor and hated for Jesus' sake because then we can rejoice because our reward in heaven is going to be great. So I've been meeting with pastors. Ever since I came to Newton, I've been meeting with pastors. This week, I just met with, uh, with two of them and, and had a really good conversation with them. But I keep asking, what is there in our community that alone we can't do? Pastors or churches, alone we couldn't do it, but that together we could accomplish. I haven't found the answer yet. I don't know what that answer is. But there's something that alone, as long as we stay segregated as churches and as pastors and as pockets of believers, we're never going to be able to do, but together we could do it and, and help to answer that prayer that what would happen on earth, it would be like what happens in heaven. Because as followers of Jesus, we can bring the kingdom to Newton and to Jasper County, to our neighborhoods, but perhaps only when we are one, only when we are one. So I sat with um, Kaz, what's his last name? Thank you, Sibula. I couldn't remember it in the first service either. Pastor Kaz. How many of you know that guy? Oh, here's what I found out this week. Now, hopefully I'm right because I have limited exposure. But he and I had lunch together, an hour and 40 minutes. He's the real deal. He's the real deal. I've been talking to and about small church pastors for five years now. Kaz is everything that's right and good about small church ministry in the world. He's... I like him. I like him a lot. And we talked about that. We said, how can we, how can we not let our buildings and the names of our buildings and the names of our 5013, whatever we are, how can we not let this segregate us? Because there's only one name that we're connected to. It's the name of Jesus. That one name. Everyone who 
puts their, claims the name of Jesus, we're one together. We're one together. We're not this church and that church. We're the church. We're the church. So let's, as we drive around and we see other church buildings, those, in those that meet in those buildings that claim the name of Jesus and that follow him as their Lord and Savior, we're the church together. Let's pray for them. Let's encourage them. Let's rejoice when other churches have a win. And may they rejoice when we have a win because it's a kingdom win. So I just brought these last two slides up. You'll remember them. In the kingdom, there's enough. When we're one together and when we serve as kingdom people, in the kingdom, there's enough food and clothing and shelter. There's enough forgiveness and healing and grace and mercy. In the kingdom, there's enough joy. There's enough peace to go around. There's enough kindness. There's enough money. There's enough friendship. Some people don't have friends. In the kingdom, there's enough holiness and enough love. As kingdom people, as we come together, I think when we're one, as Jesus prayed for us in John 17, when we're one, what could we accomplish for the people over here in Jasper County who are the poor, who are saying, why doesn't anybody see us or hear us or know we're here? In fact, they don't even know to say it. They're just there and they're suffering. Some of them are at the top of the economic ladder. Some of them are at the bottom, and they're all in between, and they're poor. They're poor in spirit, they're poor in heart, and they're poor without Jesus. It is our mission to find those people and to bring them into the kingdom and to work with all the other kingdom people in our area and to have some some synergy and not separateness. So that's, that's all I have. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this Gospel of Luke, where, where Luke, I can't imagine being him and pouring over all the, all the instances and occurrences and conversations and teachings and miracles and relationships that Jesus must have had. In the, and God, through, through the, the leading and guiding of your Holy Spirit and through the, your inspiration, he penned these inspired words that teach us what the kingdom of heaven is to be like, that teaches us what our ethic, what our, our own bylaws as people, as followers of Jesus should be. So help us this week, Lord Jesus, help us to go out in your name and to reject selfishness and self-centeredness uh, for which I know I struggle with, to reject that and to look out and see people the way you see them. Lord Jesus, help us to love our neighbor as ourself and so help to make it here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this, Lord, in the strong and mighty and holy name of Jesus. Amen.